You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Like most people listening, I've never heard of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a group of genetic connective tissue disorders due to a mutation in one or more of a dozen different genes. Who knew? It affects about one in 5,000 people worldwide. Our guest today didn't know she had this syndrome until it was triggered by a fever. And joining us to tell her story is Jenna Broom, who joins us from Washington State. Jenna, let's start your story 10 years ago when you ended up with rheumatic fever. Pick up the story from there. Yeah, I, it started in January in North Carolina. It's very, in 2007, very mild there. And I was out walking and twisted my ankle. And it just never got better. And I would go to the doctor every two weeks. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And this literally started with one ankle. And it was my tonsils. Um, It took them two years to finally, and they they were drawing blood throughout the process, and they knew I had strep in my blood, but they couldn't find it. They didn't know where it was coming from, and it got to the point where I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up the stairs. My husband had to carry me and and try to push me up the stairs. It It was pretty rough, and then they finally realized, took my tonsils out, but that keyed off. Um, just the auto autoimmune response of attacking my joints um, keyed off the Ehlers-Danlos, and that's where we realized that there was a, a further issue causing my pain because the pain just didn't go away. Most of it resolved, but it, it didn't completely resolve. So you twisted your ankle. It, uh, it wouldn't heal, and it was the result of strep tonsillitis? E- yes. Strangely enough, it, it ended up in all my joints through my hips, um, it went after my kidneys, and um, I had very little heart damage from it because I was on antibiotics for the entire time they were trying to kill it. But, yeah, it started out with a sprained ankle. And you didn't have, um, like, a sore throat when you hurt your ankle? No, but I had had strep through the years so many times. Um, at one point when I was working, I would go in every 30 days and just get a test and a shot because the antibiotics orally weren't getting it so for six months in a row but my insurance at that point did not see it necessary to take my tonsils out that was about three years before the rheumatic fever oh because the insurance company wouldn't pay for it Uh, your tonsils remained in yes yes and it abscessed in the back of the tonsils did the doctors at any time look at your throat and and say jenna you've got strap you've got tonsillitis well, they looked at the front of my throat. I had um, really big tonsils anyway. I always had. Um, so they were always problematic, and they would look at them, and they, they didn't appear bad. When they did send me to the ENT, he took the little flipper and flipped up the back of the tonsil and said, oh, this has to go now. So all they need to do was flip it up and look at the back, and they would have seen. Well, I'm, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but if somebody's presenting with strep, the first place I would look would be the throat. Well, and they did, and they swabbed my throat a few times. But like I said, it was the front, and because it had um, encapsulated in the back, it wasn't. It was all coming back negative. 
I see. Okay, so that triggered your Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah, it just made doctors aware, I guess, really. Um, as a family, we've always been very limber and have different kinds of injuries. Mm-hmm. Like instead of breaking a bone, we tend to, our bones just kind of disjoint at the joint and pop out. So we've always known that was strange. It just never hurt us until, yeah, this autoimmune disease led it to attack the joints, and now it hurts. Were you one of those kids who could put their thumb, pull their thumb right back? Oh, I can take my pinky finger and fold it back straight back on my hand flat. Um, As a kid, I was the one that would grab my leg and do a split up the wall. You know, I drove people crazy, yeah. (laughs) I was in gymnastics. (laughs) Ian has a very pained look on his face. I think he's doing the visual and on imagining him doing that. Well, well I, and I'm thinking, and nobody noticed this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it doesn't hurt, uh, it, it's no big deal, right? I, I guess so, except that there's a vascular component, which luckily I do not have. Um, but there is a vascular component, so doctors need to be aware of this um, because it's very dangerous. I, my, one of my closest friends had a heart, her first heart attack in her 40s. It just is what it is. She's got very weak veins and heart muscles. So did you get, you finally got your tonsils out, correct? I did, yes. And how was that? That was awesome. That was in 2008. And like I said, I continued to have a few problems um, with the joint pain. But really, I was doing much better. And then in 2012... Yeah, 2012, I had to have um, a hysterectomy because of endometriosis that we weren't aware of. So that was another problem I was, that was going on through that four years. And that has been a problem that I literally just resolved with a, um, a surgeon in Georgia, who a specialized surgeon to get rid of endometriosis. Apparently, that's something in America. We only have about 150 doctors who are actually trained to do it. Were you on much medication over that period? Through that period, I started out with Darvacet. I think they've banned that one now, which I find very interesting because I was never addicted to that one. It went from that to by by the end of it, when I had my hysterectomy, I was taking six Percocets at a time so that I could walk. Wow. Six yeah. Percocets at once? At once. My, um, my hips had popped out of place. It, it turns out that Part of Ehlers-Danlos is we metabolize um, drugs very fast, so I would get about an hour's relief from taking anything, and and that was it. It was gone. Um, So they were following my liver panels closely, and and for me, the drugs were causing the pain. When I finally came off of all that, my hips went back into place. I could walk again, and I have, you know, minimal pain. I feel it. I know it's there, but it's, it's not screaming. So the pills were causing most of my pain, interestingly enough. Mm. And how long were you taking the pills? Um, Three or four years? No, I was on pills for about seven years. Yeah, about six or seven years. And um, so, it, yeah, it was a long journey. That's quite remarkable yeah. that uh, the, the medication they were giving you, the pain pills, were actually causing you the problems. And once you were off them, uh, things started to return to normal for you. It is interesting. And I try to tell people this because I'm in a lot, I know a lot of people with Ehlers-Danlos. I'm in a lot of the groups. And 
I see this problem so often. I know, um, sorry to interrupt, I know um, with my uh, chiropractor, he was talking to me about this a couple of times. There's more and more articles coming out in the medical books about it, that opiates are only effective for a couple of weeks, and then it starts doing a reverse thing of actually creating more pain. Exactly, exactly. And then the doctors are giving people, you know, more things to cover that up and the antidepressants and Yeah, well even like I mean, morphine, there's there's now uh, some real question as to whether or not morphine actually increases cancer. Well, most tr- um cancer patients who go the orthodox route are on morphine. Wow. Well, you know, I was even on that fentanyl patch, and I took that fentanyl patch. I did it one time, and it lasted three days, and I had the shakes after mm-hmm. that. And I said no more because I felt great while I was on it, but it, it, it was an immediate withdrawal. How difficult was it for you, Jenna, to get off these pain medications? You know, luckily I had a very understanding doctor who was always working with me and, and because he knew I didn't want to be addicted, he knew that that stigma was something I was aware of. So he worked with me to come down off of everything, but it was hard. I ended up in the hospital a couple of times looking back. I now know it was withdrawals, but it was also, you know, after a hysterectomy. So I had those issues going. I had complications. I had. Um, I had to be hospitalized for a week afterwards from, from an infection. So I had problems, and I was stopping all the pills all at the same time. <laughs> so I never quite knew what was what. And no doctor would acknowledge that it was withdrawals. Not once did a doctor say, your, your legs are shaking like this because of withdrawals from pills. Had they said that, I would have been fine with it. I would have gone home and taken more magnesium or, you know, tried to find something else to do. But I had no idea. I was just afraid. When did uh, cannabis come into play for you? Right after the hysterectomy, during that time when I was having such a hard time with the pills and being in so much pain, my mother called and said, you're going to have to stop taking those pills and start smoking weed. And she was a, she taught, she just retired from a community college. It it shocked me. And I said, where am I going to get that? She said, I lived in Raleigh at the time. She, She lived near Duke, UNC, NC State, just go down there and find some. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That yeah, your, that is. Your mother gets your you mother calling you up. Drop <laughs> those pills and get some cannabis. <laughs> she yeah, she called me out. She's like, "This is I'm not going to watch my baby die." And looking at it now, I can see where I would be dead had I continued that path. You think so? Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, taking them six at a time and it not helping. Yeah, I mean, I, my choices were I could have gone up to heroin, I guess. But I'm afraid of needles. It's really unbelievable, some of the stuff that people are taking. So what happened when you uh, did cannabis for the first time? Oh, that was just hilarious. My husband is actually a Baptist preacher's son, Southern Baptist. And he sat up in bed, and you're going to have to excuse the French, but he looked over at me and he said, what evil fuck made this illegal? (laughs) <laughs> and i immediately called my mom i was like mom this is awesome <laughs> well that's so, right yeah. because nobody's ever died from it have they no one has ever died from it and then through that process i reached back out to some people in my youth because i found out that my parents had smoked when i was in high school and they knew some of the people in the small town we lived in that could help me out from 20 years previous and so i started calling around and I ended up through that route, sort of, meeting Rebecca Forbes, who's who had nothing to do with that. But 
it was really neat because um, she's the one who who guided me into coming off the pills. She Excellent. was the one who actually said, every time you want a pill, why don't you just smoke smoke some weed? And and made that connection. Yeah, we interviewed Rebecca back in the day. Oh, yeah, the name yeah. is familiar. Yeah. yeah, I know Rebecca. Yeah, she's interesting. She, very, she helped very. a lot of people with that. Uh, so you just did smoking? You, you you didn't ingest oil or do topicals at all? Or not top, top well, yeah, topicals or uh, baked Good edibles. Well, right after I started smoking, not not too terribly long after, I ended up out here at Hemp Fest in Washington because Rebecca was speaking, and so she asked me to come with her. And I just I thought, okay, I had no idea what I was stepping into, not a clue. That was the most eye opening, best thing that I've ever done in my life um, because of that. And it was so early on, and I had oils from the beginning. I had access, or at least the knowledge, to make my own. Um, so I was ingesting, I was making, you know, butter and coconut oils and I was making my own lotions. And I, in fact, I made suppositories, um, this last surgery that I had in November, uh, by the time I got to the hospital, I was gray. When the doctor saw me, he said, you're gonna have to have surgery pretty fast because the endometriosis, people don't realize that that can kill you. And it had attached to my lungs and my diaphragm, so I couldn't breathe. And it had um, attached my colon to my stomach, and I couldn't eat. And cannabis was the only thing that got me through that. And they had me on Valium and Baclofen suppositories. That was the only other drug that I agreed to use. And that wiped my memory. I couldn't even get one mile down the road in my car to, to McDonald's, and I had lived in the same place for 10 years. So at that point, I said, I'm going to make this into suppositories also. And Duke Medical Center has record of me making my suppositories and using it and how it works so much better than their Valium and Baclofen. Now, you say they have records of it. Why do they have records of it? Because I made sure to point it out. I wanted them to know, and I want them to tell other women. It's not fair to be giving women um, vaginal suppositories of Valium and knowing what that'll do to your mind, and it's it's bypassing everything, going straight into the blood, and they know what it's going to do and the, the side effects, and no one's giving the, the proper warnings on that. With your endometriosis, would you say that you probably would have died if it wasn't for cannabis? Um, oh, I, I would most definitely. I would have died from that because I couldn't eat. And, you know, it's funny, I would talk to people because cancer will kill you so fast, you don't realize that something innocuous like endometriosis can also kill you. But if it hooks onto your stomach and you can't hold food in and and you can't get any nutrients, um, I just threw up all the time. There were days I threw up more than 20 times a day. And it was just the muscle spasms and cannabis could control that to some degree. Did you lose a lot of weight during that period? I, I did. I've lost about 40 pounds. I've put back on about five now. Okay, how do you feel? I feel great. For the first time in 10 years, I feel great. I feel like I could tackle the world. And before, I would get about two hours a day before this last surgery in November. I got literally two hours a day, and I could plan to either go grocery shopping or do laundry. And that was it. I was asleep the rest of the time. So in November of last year, you were sleeping a lot, uh, you were active for a couple of hours a day, and today, in July, you are a vibrant woman. Yes. 
Yes, and I'm pink. It's hilarious. People actually, friends that I met when I moved to Georgia and I saw them again after surgery said, oh, my goodness, you're pink. What happened? I mean, it was it was that visible. So you've, you've, no you've gone from gray to pink. <laughs> so yes. you've, got, you've got blood flow happening. <laughs> I do. Yeah. But it was, and, and I totally, I give cannabis credit on, it couldn't cure what I had because there's nothing you can do about adhesions and, and growth like that. But it could definitely give me the ability to eat. It could release the muscle spasms enough to allow my body to process some of the food. Um, my husband and I, lit, it, it was it was difficult. Every day we would have to do stomach massages to push everything through. But cannabis gave us, you know, through the lotions. We had that going on through the outside, and it was everywhere. <laughs> How does your mother feel about it? Uh, she, she's she's very happy. Of course, now she worries that I might smoke too much since I don't have any current issues. <laughs> <laughs> no. And is your husband a convert as well? He is. He is. That's uh, that's fantastic. It's it's been an interesting road. It's it's been an interesting road, but not one I would trade. I have to say, because now I can make other people aware. I had no idea, and to be perfectly honest, I was that judgy dare child adult who, because I knew my brother smoked, I would buy him gift cards. I didn't want to give him cash because I didn't want him spending his money on drugs. I feel so bad about that now. I mean, I, I just, I had so much judgment, and now I can go out and help people and try to show them that there's another way where you don't have to beg for help from your doctors. Yeah. Have you told your brother that story? I have. <laughs> and what We was... talk about it all the time. He laughs at me. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you consume a day, and in what form? Um... Usually, right now, I'm down to just smoking, uh, and actually, because I've been quitting cigarettes, I'm consuming probably an eighth a day to a quarter a day, just because I'm rolling it up into spliffs. But that's about it now. That's about it? You don't take the oil or have edibles or tinctures and things like that? Not terribly. This past week, I had a little bit, um, I still get a little bit of pain. I think it's probably cyclical, and so I had to take a little bit of oil for that, but that's about it. Like a tenth of a gram. I mean, nothing. Have you noticed any change in your Ehlers-Danlos syndrome as a result of taking cannabis? No, and I don't think there'll be any changes on that. Um, It's just poor connective tissue. I don't think cannabis can change that. I'm I'm sure that I've had um, protection with my bones with the CBGs. Um, because I've had to take the Lupron shot for, I probably took it for two years all in, and they now say that that causes a lot of bone deterioration, and I don't seem to have that problem. Um, what is that called? That, what is that called, Jenna? That shot you took? Lupron or Depro Lupron. Oh, it's okay. what they give men with uh, prostate cancer to stop hormones. Yeah, it's one of the things that they do for women to stop hormones endometriosis but they don't share the side effects of it so luckily i had the cannabis on board during that time and i'm hoping it protected me i'm wondering if you did cannabis in a stronger form consistently like cannabis oil whether you might see some changes i'm not completely convinced that cannabis couldn't at least assist in making your disease less impactful well yeah it it does make it less impactful um because it controls the, the little bit of arthritis in the hips now. It's the hips 
the shoulders pop out. I have a rib that twists. That's fun. Mm-hmm. But you know, we we had a little girl who uh, was going to have her. Uh, she was five years old. Was going to have her. I recognize it's not the same thing. Uh, she was going to have her leg amputated at the hip. Oh. And we started her on THC at night, C- THC oil at night, and CBD in the daytime. And I think it was uh, two weeks, and this fracture healed. Like, there was this fracture in her, her uh, thigh that wouldn't heal, and it was, as a result of radiation that they had done, her bones were really brittle, and they'd been trying to heal it for over a year. So, wow. yeah, yeah I, I think there's a chance that this could help with the whole connective tissue thing. Well, you know, I think brittle bone is connected to Ehlers-Danlos. A lot of people with brittle bone have Ehlers-Danlos. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I think it's... And um, there's another one, Marfan syndrome, that's very closely connected to us. They're the really tall people with really long limbs. Yes. We just... Just, uh, yeah. we just, just interviewed. You just interviewed a woman in Washington State with Marfan syndrome. Yeah, yes. she's tall. That's right she's next to Eller Sandler's. Yeah, she's five eleven tall, and uh, it's it's very similar to what you have, isn't it? it it's the same thing, pretty much. Um, they have a few additional issues because of the height and the joints, but yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. I'm I'm wondering, uh, Jenna, if you started taking the cannabis oil in uh, higher concentration. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, higher concentration, uh, as Corey recommended. I think uh, you know it's worth a try. I would be willing to do that. I've just I've never considered. I've always been um, trying to solve it mode. I've never really considered anything. Now that I've gotten myself stable, I could do something. Actually, pay attention if you, that makes sense. Yeah, you mentioned a few moments ago that you have a rib that twists. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, I just I didn't even realize that until last week. I came to a massage therapist here. I have a point in my back that hurts terribly, and it hurts to breathe. Um, and I've just always assumed it was a muscle. I've had massage people try to get it, and I end up in more pain than than before every time. No one's ever been able to fix it. And this one massage therapist who used to be a nurse and a physical therapist before her retirement job. Um, she fixed it. She rolled the rib. She found it on the front side and, and literally somehow rolled it back into place, and it immediately stopped hurting. Wow. So, yeah, 40 years in, and I'm already I'm finding new things out about my body. I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. How are your hips? Oh, they're very loose. They fall in and out all the time. <laughs> you, say that just- so, you say that so nonchalantly. Oh, they fall out all the time. Yeah, you know, if you stand on one leg with it straight, and you've got the other one bent, so all your weight's on that one, my hip will go sliding out. That can be awkward at times. It could be. It could be. We learn to laugh it off, I think. You indicated uh, earlier in this interview that you make your own oils and and, uh, tinctures. Is that correct? That is correct. How has that been for you? Um, Well, it's okay. It's a little more expensive trying to make it from... Pretty much $400 an ounce bud out there on the East Coast. But um, well, I've just done the basics. I haven't made FICO yet. Uh, I have used FICO. And when I make the suppositories, I always do that from a FICO beginning. But um, other than that, I make coconut oil infused and just put it in everything. Sometimes a tincture. But Now, you are from Georgia. What is the medical 
cannabis law in Georgia with respect to recreational use and medical use? It's terribly illegal. I mean, they, they have the CBD law for the babies with seizures. I don't really count that as anything. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's helping anybody. In fact, I tell most of the parents I speak to to think about it long and hard before they hand their name and information over to a registration group that they're going to be bringing in an illegal substance into the state. You know, um, they have a very small registration and I think seven ailments. Seven ailments, that's all you can use it for. Yes, and nobody can grow it in the state. You can't buy it in the state. You can't make it. You can only have it if you have their card, but there's no way to get it. Why is that? Well, because it's illegal. I'm I'm baffled. It just doesn't make sense, does it? It really doesn't. In fact, I taught my dentist as my senator, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And he's Republican, but he's really nice. I, I really like him. And, um... Obviously, I'm not Republican. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. <laughs> I'm independent, though. But he, um, he told me, he, I told him I was going to move to Washington because I needed a job, and medical marijuana is my, my preferred medicine. And with the drug test situation in Georgia, I can't find a job. And he said, what if, I could, what if you could get one of those cards, although my ailment's not in there? It wouldn't matter in that state. The, the companies are still drug testing. So I'm hoping that maybe if I open his eyes, he'll try to make changes from the inside. Give me your perspective of the difference between Georgia and Washington State. Oh, in my perspective in Georgia, they're hunting the people like we're animals. They're hunting us. They've um, they've started a new program where the police can now determine if you are drunk, even if you pass their sobriety test and you pass um the the blood alcohol or the alcohol test they can now say well obviously you're high um and arrest you and hold you in jail with no proof other than what they're saying to me they're hunting the patients because they're taking them in and they're going to start pulling blood on everybody they can and they're going to find out which one ones of us are patients is there public is the public opinion in the south towards cannabis for medical purposes at least is that starting to change even i think the public opinion has changed yeah i think we're at 85 percent um approval with the public the problem is is that there's still a lot of the um politicians yeah there's something strange where a lot of people just say well it's illegal so you know the risk you're running just don't do it I mean, I, I still get a lot of that. But the majority of people are in favor of it for medical yeah. purposes. Yeah, they're running about 85% in favor. Yeah, I think what has happened is that the public opinion has surpassed by a wide margin the opinion of the political leaders in in countries all around the world. Oh, yeah. And I think the movement is starting to gain momentum. And eventually, you know, probably the South will become like the West Coast at some point in maybe five or ten years. Oh, or, I hope so. Or sooner. You well, s- it's true. And I know that they have a lot of elections going on right now. And a lot of those, like the, the mayor of um, Atlanta's coming up. And there's a couple of people, I believe, whose stance is pro-marijuana or at least um, decriminalization on the streets. 
you know, harm reduction. So that's coming up in Clarksville passed something to where they can in Georgia, they can, I think it's a $75 fine up to an ounce. So the small communities are trying and it'll turn. Yeah, it'll turn. So Jenna, your health today is uh, improving. You're getting better. Uh, even though your rib pops out occasionally, your hip pops out. <laughs> but you're, are you off those nasty pharmaceutical medications? Completely and 100%. I'm down to, I think my last surgery, I took 20 pills, and it was a massive surgery. <laughs> and I just, I, you know, the first three days I'll take them, and that's about it. Well, we appreciate your time. Uh, sit down, smoke one, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Well, thank you. You too. I hope y'all have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Jenna. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Don't forget to check out our webpage, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and look at the, some of the apparel that we've got for sale there. Cannabis Health Radio t-shirts, mugs, hats, and hoodies. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.